Welcome to Chandler United Methodist Church as we come together online for worship. The Old Testament book of 1 Samuel contains the official polished stories of the great kings and being great and great kings lustering with their greatness. 2 Samuel is the stories of the exact same people but it includes all the dirt. And if you've listened to me of any length of time, you will probably correctly surmise that I have no interest in 1 Samuel whatsoever. People who are polished, people for whom life is easy and of no interest to me, they're boring. If you want to tell me the story of someone's life, include the dirt the challenges, the failings, the foibles. Our text today comes from 2 Samuel chapter 18. This is a piece of the later years in the life of King David. You will remember King David was the youngest son of Jesse. He had many older brothers. David was the runt of the litter. David was bullied by his older brothers. He was excluded from their inness and their powerful relationship with one another. He was just disregarded. He was dismissed. And yet this same David will be the one who finds his identity in God. He will be the boy who slays a giant named Goliath. And he will be the young man with a wonderful voice who is moved into the royal court as the lyricist to cheer up old morose King Saul. David takes his place in the royal court and manages to move up in the ranks, as it were. David will be the king who brings the ark of the Lord to Jerusalem. It, David will be the king who dances naked before the ark of the Lord. David will be the king who begins construction on the great temple in Jerusalem. And David will be the king who seduces Bathsheba and then covers it up and gets caught. Start reading the story of David, and almost immediately we become aware of, I don't know, unresolved stuff. Um, the difficulty of public life, the difficulty of wealth, the difficulty of, of power, the difficulty of inherited unresolved stuff. And then you start reading about David's children, and it gets worse because it is very evident they inherited some stuff too. Some of the being children of the king, yes. Some having a very public life, yes. Some because their dad had bad boundaries, yes. Our text today is about one of the outcomes of what was inherited and what was done in the life. This is about the killing of David's son, Absalom. Absalom had a beautiful head of long hair and from the beginning was praised as the most handsome man in all of Israel. Everyone loved Absalom. 
Absalom had a sister named Tamar, another of David's sons, Absalom's brother by another mother, Amnon. Amnon lusted after Tamar, cornered her, and raped her. Absalom took in his sister, sheltered Tamar in his home, expecting their father David to punish Amnon in some way. David did nothing. And Absalom's rage seethed into a vengeful plot in which he engineered the killing of his brother Amnon and then ran away hiding in the home of his grandfather. A few years later, word will reach Absalom that his father David is pining for his presence, misses him. David wants a big, happy family. And so Absalom is brought home. And of course, as always happens when there are unresolved issues and someone is stuck on the idea of a big, happy family, Conflict erupts immediately. A lot of buried anger came back to the surface. And so Absalom began asserting his own authority and speaking against his father in public to the people. He got away with it. And so he began gathering an army. He got away with it. And so he declared himself king. David hears of this rebellion and raises his own forces, ordering his troops to go to battle against Absalom, but not to harm Absalom, his son. And the story goes on, and there's a lot of strategy, and, but the two armies will clash at Ephraim in a large oak forest, and the text will tell us that 20,000 men fell on the battlefield that day. The army of David prevailed. And as Absalom was riding his mule under one of those great oak trees, his hair got tangled in a thicket of branches. Well, the mule kept moving and ran off, leaving Absalom hanging by his gorgeous hair from the branches of the tree, tangled, helpless. And one of David's generals, Joab, killed Absalom. To Joab, the general's surprise, <clears throat> David was heartbroken over the death of his son. Even though Absalom had tried to steal his crown, and get him killed in the process, David mourns. He grieves, weeps uncontrollably. David has come to see that being king created the conditions of conflict between he and his children, he and his sons, he and Absalom. And David also expresses deep regret for his own failings, which created and contributed to many family tragedy, many national tragedies. 
It's a story about unresolved stuff. Well, today I want to tell you a story about unresolved stuff, a, a real story. This happened in a church that I served well, quite a few years ago. I was their pastor, and Meg's family, her husband, her kids, they were active members of, of the church. And every week was a running update on the stress and strain brought into Meg's life by her brother Brad. By Brad and his wife Julie and their son Cody. They lived just next door to Meg and were always coming over with a new problem to be solved. Brad was trying to make a living junking old cars in the yard and selling off the parts. It, it wasn't going well and it was a hard life. Julie was one day diagnosed with lupus and the following Sunday she and Brad began coming to church religiously trying to make sense of their lives, making a new commitment with their lives. They made it a point to stand in line and shake my hand on the way out every day, reassuring me that they meant it. They were in the church for the long haul. And, and they did keep the commitment. They came to church regularly for three weeks straight. And then I didn't see them until Christmas of that year. And then I saw them on Mother's Day and Easter, or Easter and Mother's Day as the case may be. It was a little while later, a couple months later, that Meg called me on a Saturday morning, could I go see Brad in the city jail? The family was going to try to have him bailed out by Saturday afternoon, but could I go see him Saturday morning? Well, what had happened was that Friday night, Brad and Julie had gone out with another couple, intending it to be a swapping date. They were going to swap partners. And so they did some eating together and some drinking. To, they did a lot of drinking together, followed by the drive out to the house. Brad was driving under the influence of alcohol. His new partner was the wife of the other relationship was in the front seat with him and Brad driving under the influence of alcohol ran into a bridge abutment and it caused the death of this other woman who was in the front seat next to Brad. She died and Brad was arrested. After being bailed from jail Brad and Julie were back in church weekly while he awaited trial. He would talk with me nearly every week. He said he'd quit drinking, and I believed him because he started to look like he had quit drinking. Fear can do that. He talked about wanting to figure out a new way of life, which was going to be hard because the family and all his brothers and sisters and mom and dad were quite supportive of the old way of life. Brad's father and all of Brad's brothers and 
two of the three sisters, Meg was not. Meg was the only one that was not. They were all heavy drinkers. Every afternoon, their pickup trucks began lining up in front of Joe's Tavern downtown. The father's long-term habit was getting sloshed and then coming home and waking the kids, accusing them of preposterous things and punishing them by hitting them. That was his pattern, and it was lifelong, Brad's life. Brad didn't think very highly of himself. He had learned as a child that life was quite unpredictable. Better not to hope, better not to talk, better not to trust, better not to feel. From very early on, Brad lived in a family pattern, and a fish does not question water. And now, as an adult, he would visibly waffle between fearing he was unlovable and knowing he was unlovable. Well, the trial came on a Wednesday. Brad pled guilty. The following Wednesday was the day of sentencing, and he was sentenced to 10 years incarceration. He was released on his own recognizance, and he was given until 4 p.m. the following Monday afternoon to present himself to the county jail. The family decided to gather for a going away lunch on Monday, and then Julie would drive him to the jail. And the whole family and a whole lot of friends were there. I had to park quite a ways down the road and walk. I found myself walking past a lot of vehicles that might have been mistaken for parts cars. There were a lot of people. There were a lot of cigarettes. Some folks were trying to be stoic. Some folks had started drinking long before lunch and were far beyond reasonable comment and wandered around in a stupor. Some folks were weeping and sobbing and hugging randomly. I can't say I blame them, and I certainly don't judge them. They were looking square on at one of their own, suffering the hard consequences of the life they led, and they were all coping in the only way they knew to cope. These hard-living folks are my people. Well, 3 p.m. came along. Most of the hot dogs had been eaten. The burgers had been long gone. The chips bowls were empty. I suggested that we gather around and reach out our hands and bless Brad, speak words of love to him. And I will say some really nice words were spoken that afternoon. Some of the best came from Brad's oldest brother, Kent, who was surprisingly lucid. Kent said, I don't believe God is causing this. 
but I do believe God is in it. And God is going to get done in you what God needs done in you. And maybe you'll save the rest of us. I'm here if you need me. But I'm not thinking you need any more of me or this family right now. I'm thinking part of what needs to come out of your life is some of us who are just busted. And then Kent began to weep. Brad's dad filled the silence after that. He said, I love you, boy. Sometimes you disappoint me, but I love you. And then Brad's dad shouted, I'm giving up drinking for you, boy. And then Julie and Brad got in the car. And Julie drove Brad to the jail. He was put on a transport van, and he was taken to Iowa City for 60 days of observation, evaluation, and then he would be assigned to a minimum, medium, or maximum security facility for the term of his sentence. I had the opportunity to visit Brad about halfway through the 60-day time. He said, at first I missed my life terribly. But now that I'm away from it, I don't have to be that guy anymore. I no longer have to be my dad's son. And then Brad said, I can now be my father's son. He said the chaplain had helped him with that. He said it makes a difference who your father is. Back in town, Brad's dad had a lot to bear. None of the apples had fallen very far from the tree and it proved kind of hard to handle, and I do think he made it to almost sober before he started drinking again. After the 60-day observation period, Brad was transported back to town to appear before the judge to finalize his sentence and make the assignment to the appropriate facility. Brad had been deemed of lowest risk, and he was expected to be assigned to a minimum security facility about 30 miles away. Pretty standard. Brad was there. He stood up in the courtroom. His family was there. They remained seated, watching, expecting Brad to be sent. And at the recommendation of the county attorney, Brad was instead placed on 10 years probation and released from custody. He found himself standing among his family. He found himself in the car headed home. And I will say, Brad was a different man, which I found quite hopeful. But I also knew that he was swimming upstream against a very strong current. I thought I saw an opportunity for the church 
to do what the church does best. And I saw someone in the church who was really good at doing what the church does best. A few days later, I stopped out to see Lyle and Margaret. Lyle was a no-nonsense banker. He was a veteran of the Korean War. He was a church member. He worked outside a lot. He did projects. He painted. He fixed things. For a lot of people in town who didn't have the resources to do it for themselves. And Lyle was very articulate about his values. When I stopped by, and of course, Brad came up in the conversation, Lyle said, yeah, I heard he's been released. Personally, I think the sentence should have been a lot stiffer and that he should have served it. But who am I to say? Margaret was a no-nonsense person of her own right. She had raised three sons. She was a UMW president, and Margaret was a veteran of living with Lyle. I tried to work some things into the conversation. I said, you know, Brad did not get a fair start, and which prompted Lyle to interrupt, and he started to recall some things about Brad's father and Brad's grandfather, which pretty much supported my point. And then I said, Brad's trying to be a different kind of guy, to which Lyle interrupted and said, he's got a long road to hoe. That whole family just needs to learn responsibility. I said, uh, I know they're both looking for work. He and Julie both need someone who can show them what responsibility looks like. And I think they'd be good students. Let me know if you hear of anything. Well, you know what happened. A few days later, Margaret and Lyle drove out to Brad and Julie's house and made an offer. They would hire Julie to come on and work at the bank and learn to keep books with Margaret. And they would hire Brad to come on and work at the bank and manage some properties owned by the bank. And it would pay each of them a solid wage and it would allow Lyle to get down off a ladder a lot more often, and it would allow Margaret to not have to do all of the bank work. Julie would spend her time in the bank. She would learn bookkeeping. Brad would work with Lyle, learning property management. There were some other expectations, too. They had to be on time. They had to plan to work hard. Brad and Julie would need to go to Al-Anon, and they would need to take a parenting class at the community college, and they would need to be in church every Sunday, and then come to the home of Margaret and Lyle for Sunday dinner, every Sunday, as long as this arrangement continued. And for the remainder of my time there, Brad and Julie were in church every Sunday. 
Almost 20 years later, I happened to be back in town, passing through on summer, for the 150th anniversary of that church. I ran into Brad and Julie at the celebration. Brad and Julie have two businesses, property management and bookkeeping. And Julie said they have four employees, one of whom is Brad's oldest brother, Kent. Brad said that working with Lyle was life-changing. But what really made the difference in the long haul was the way the church, Margaret, had taken them in. I tell this story today because if you are carrying a lot of unresolved stuff, if you bear a lot of confusion about who you are and what you should be doing, I think Brad's words are a gift. Something about get clear in your mind who your father is and begin figuring out what it means to be that father's child. And if your struggle is with your mother, get clear in your mind who your mother is and begin figuring out what it means to be that mother's child. I mostly, though, want us to be mindful of the effect we have on others, of the effect others have had on us. I want us to be mindful that all of us are at different stages of resolving what we have inherited and becoming intentional in our lives. I want us to be mindful of how often through our lives, as we look back, how often someone reached out and took us in and pulled us along, gave us a word, gave us a new image, gave, helped us to see our lives in a new way. People like Margaret and Lyle. Maybe people who are sitting next to you, worshiping with you today. I tell this story because life is not fair. And oftentimes what we receive is a lot to bear. But we trust that God is working for good in all things and that our efforts as a church to do good things in the name of God does change lives. May the Spirit of God, whom we know in the person of Jesus, go before you to show you the way, behind you to nudge you forward when you can't seem to move, above you to watch over you, beside you to be sometimes the only friend that you have in this world, and within you that you might know peace. Be always in peace.